What does God promise to his followers in this life? When we become followers of Christ, when we say, Lord, I give you my life, I believe in you, I want to follow you, I want to be yours, I, I want you to come and be in my life and lead me and show me your ways. What is God, what's God's end of the deal? What are, what, we we kind of get this sense of what he wants from us sometimes. That kind of takes your whole life to figure that out. But, but what's God's promise? Does he guarantee anything? What is God's promise to us in this life? Do we get a guarantee of financial success? Do we get a, a guarantee of health? Do we get a, a guarantee of a good reputation? What about... Does it mean we'll always be well-fed with everything that we want to take in? Does it mean that our children will be guaranteed to go to A-rated schools all of their lives? What is it that God promises us? You know, I think it's important to know that. Otherwise, we have these false expectations about what we're getting into in this faith business, isn't it? If we think God's going to promise us these things, but God really never promises those things, and if those things come crashing down, we might set ourselves up to believe that God led us astray. Well, here we are in this Gospel of Luke. We've been traveling along the way with Jesus all the way to Jerusalem for about three months now, and the whole time Jesus is on his way, he's en route to Jerusalem, but he's finally arrived. You may remember the trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, where Frodo Baggins and Samwise Gangee go into the heart of Sauron, the, the very heart of, in that movie at least, the enemy. Well, kind of in the same way, Jesus goes into the heart of Jerusalem, into the very symbol of the greatest symbol that the people of God know, and that symbol is the temple. And today we hear from his last sermon, is given to us by Luke. And Jesus says in his final sermon here, not one stone will be left upon another. Now those are fighting words, brothers and sisters, to make such a claim. There's not a building in Lubbock, Texas that has the same kind of sentimental value that the Jews of Jesus' day would have placed upon the temple. We can't even imagine what it would be like to make such a prediction. Now let's rewind just a little bit to get us a little perspective. As Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, just a chapter or so earlier in the Gospel of Luke, he sees Jerusalem and he begins to weep. He is overcome with this grief because he knows that the nation of Israel has not been faithful and true to the mission that God had entrusted to them. Instead of being a blessing to the world, they got lost in their own national identity and their own collective self-preservation product uh, project wrapped up in this religious world of theirs. Serving themselves, doing the exact opposite of what God has called them to do to be a blessing to the world. 
Jesus, all along the way to Jerusalem, has been lifting up and including in these people traditionally who have been outsiders, people like women and lepers and widows and foreigners of all kinds. He's been including them into his kingdom movement. The very people that Israel's leaders have ignored, neglected, and pushed away. Throughout his journey to Jerusalem, Jesus really has been carrying the true mission of God on his back. And that mission has been on a crash course with the heart of the beast. The beast is represented in the temple itself. The thing that was meant to give glory to God, the temple, has become the very barrier to God. That's worth crying over. That's worth grieving over for Jesus. And now it is judgment time, and Jesus knows it as he approaches Jerusalem, even though nobody else knows it at the time. If this temple is not going to serve the promises of God, then it has to go. It needs to stop being a false witness for who God is. And so Jesus says, not one stone will be left upon another. This was almost unthinkable that the temple would be destroyed. Surely the temple itself would never be destroyed. Is is this not God's promise to his people? Nobody would have predicted it. Surely of all that God guarantees his people, the temple would have been included in that guarantee. Surely that's part of the package deal of having a relationship with God as a people as a whole. But as Israel throughout the centuries have backed off in their part of the covenant with God, they have backed into consequences of what it means to live outside of God's covenant. They have backed into what it means to try to have God's kingdom on their own terms. It happened with the Babylon of, uh, the empire of Babylon 500 years before when the temple was destroyed the first time. And now it will happen with Rome. Not one stone will be left upon another. Now remember, Jesus has identified himself and his disciples have identified himself as the Messiah. The Messiah simply means the one in whom God's spirit is upon, the anointed one. Now, the expected job description of the day for the Messiah was to lead a military-type revolt to overthrow the Romans, the Roman Empire, so that that empire that taxed Israel with their governors and their soldiers everywhere, reminding them who's in charge, so that they would be purged from the area and that Israel would be its own sovereign nation-state or its own sovereign people. In spite of this Messiah job description, however, we remember earlier that in the very moment that the disciples said, you're the Messiah, the very moment that Peter had the courage, the audacity just to put it out there in words, was the exact moment in the Gospels when Jesus begins to say, at least to them, oh, by the way, I'm going to die. The Messiah? Die? That's not in the job description. 
The Messiah is not to die, and the temple is never to be destroyed. Those are two things that's part of the guarantee, right? Two things that are part of the promise. Of course, what they don't know is that Jesus can see things they don't. That Jesus is doing something new that is beyond their imagination. The old is passing away. There will someday be no need for a physical temple building. Of course, this temple must go. It has become a symbol not of God's kingdom, but of the kingdom of national sovereignty, a kingdom of self, if you will. And so Jesus predicts again, not one stone will be left upon another. In the year 66 A.D., Several decades after Jesus had died and had risen, with this sovereign mentality, this nationalistic hope, Jews revolted and drove the Romans out of Jerusalem. They poked the bear. The empire of Rome gathered themselves, sieged Jerusalem, and in A.D. 70 they attacked destroyed Jerusalem, and obliterated the temple. Not one stone was left upon another. Now, it's not like God had to make this happen. Jesus just knew that if God's people were not true to what God had entrusted to them, if they were not really seeking His kingdom, His will, if they would try to make it happen on their own, they were going up with worldly powers, against the powers of this world, and that, they, that that project was going to fail. In fact, it needs to fail because that is not where God's people need to place their hope. And if the temple was dear to them, then perhaps we too have things that we might hold dear to, things that we thought might be in the guarantee from God to us, things like financial success, Things like long-lasting health, a good reputation, comfort, or even A-rated schools for our children. Perhaps it's even this very building that we are in. Do we not sometimes think of this building as a temple of sorts? Things that are meant to give glory to God that sometimes, or that at least have the potential of becoming a distraction from God. Isn't that strange that the greatest things in life are also the things that are the greatest threat to our relationship with God? They are stones that will not last. So we must ask ourselves a question, are there any stones that we have built up in our life? Jesus doesn't promise that these things will remain for us. In fact, to Jesus' immediate audience, he actually says that their families will even betray them because of him. To his immediate audience, he says that they will even be killed for their faith. Indeed, not too many chapters down the road, the gospel writer Luke, who also writes Acts, writes about Stephen, the first martyr, who gave his life over. Jesus also says, in the same breath, but don't worry about what you are to say. Don't prepare some speech. 
just know that I will be with you and I will put in your mouth what you are to say. Again, we see that in Stephen several chapters later. And then Jesus says, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. Jesus seems to be saying, as much as you value the things you see around you, as much as you may place value on this temple, there's actually something of greater value. And that something of greater value is worth everything that you hold dear. And if you hang on to that, then you will gain your life. You will gain your soul. You know, we're often unaware of the things that we love in this life until they're threatened. We're, we're, we kind of tend to go through life, you know, I, I don't think about my house every day. But, but if my house burned down, I would really start thinking about my house. If my house was threatened, I would start thinking about my house. I don't think about my health every day, but if my health felt threatened, I would start thinking about that. We are often unaware of these attachments until they're taken away or threatened. And so today I want you to think about the blessings in your life. Everything that God gives is a blessing. Everything that is true and right that he gives to us is a true blessing. The temple was meant to be a blessing. But here's the problem. When we hold on to our blessings too tight... They become idols. They become the very object of our worship. We don't say we worship these things, but if we're hanging on to our blessings too tight, indeed we are. And we hang on to the things of this world too tight. We're hanging on to things that will someday pass away. And we will be gravely disappointed. So I encourage you today, Not to put too much stock in the things of this world. Acknowledge the things that are good. Acknowledge the blessing. The blessing of, you know, being in this building. The blessing of having a place to worship God. And if you count your blessings every day, and Thanksgiving month is a great time to do that. Every month it actually is, but, you know, we can ramp it up even this time of year, right? Count those blessings, acknowledge them, but know that, that they're to be held loosely. Because the things of this world pass away. But there's some things that don't. Things like the kingdom of God. Things like Jesus. Things like who you and I are. And he does guarantee that he always will be with us. He does guarantee that even in, when things are tossing and turning in this world, Jesus goes on after this in the rest of his sermon to talk about even more intense things. Wars, rumors of wars, natural disasters. None of that seems to be outside the scope of Jesus' vision. It's not as if Jesus is saying, hey, you can have your, your nice little private inspirational life and nothing bad will happen to you. No, he pretty much says, the world's a tough place, but there are things that I will give you that you can endure to the end faithfully. 
when we know those things and when we have those things in our hearts, then we will not be disappointed. We will begin to tap into the real eternal joy of God. May He give us the wisdom to see and to know the difference between the blessings of this life and the blessings of eternity. Let us pray. Lord, we know that we can ask for anything we want. And we're going to continue to do that. But we also know that you call us to give our lives to you. Would you show us, Lord, how to not put too much stock and energy into preserving our life or ourselves. And would you show us how you're wanting to use us, whoever we are and wherever you've placed us, to live out faithfully what it looks like to follow you and to love you, to know you, to live for you. Lord, there are people here today and they need to hear your promise that if they just endure, they will gain their lives. Lord, maybe we have temples that feel threatened. Maybe we have temples that have come crashing down. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's our finances. Maybe it's our health. Maybe it's our reputation. And Lord, we just have to confess that too often we're hanging on to those things. Lord, would you give us the grace to trust you and just to give these things to you. To lay them down at your feet. To not be overly anxious about them. To seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Show us your ways, O God. In your name we pray. Amen.